It was hell, the priests tell us. The world we know with its green fields and high mountains, bright streams and dark forests, was a ruinous desolation. Terrible creatures of chaos, caustic spirits and bitter miscreations tore the land to pieces, treating sentient life as playthings or as farmed beasts, often both. Driving them to ever greater destructive acts were the Canavere Fae, ancient beings of chaotic will and unimaginable power. Almost a thousand years ago, the last humans made a desperate plea to the heavens and their prayers were answered by the arrival of seven goddesses who redeemed and remade the world in an event known as the Tide of Light. In a few brief moments, the powers of chaos and disaster were driven back and contained. The world was able to heal, and here in the west, a new kingdom was born, Carasona an empire that reached from the great southern ice to the warm seas around Arushar in the north, from the eastern mountains to the western ocean. Carasona was a home and nurturing place for the sectarian religion that grew around the Seven Sisters, becoming a great uniting church where the kingdom flourished in the care of a series of enlightened rulers. Five hundred years later, that era of peace came to an end. A wizard, now known only as the Diabolist, was driven to madness by his dealings with dangerous powers. He summoned an army of fiery demons and rampaged across the land until he was confronted in battle by a force of church knights. Although the knights prevailed and the Diabolist was burned by his own demon fire, a slow pestilence crept in his wake among those who had fought, making its way imperceptibly across the kingdom. The resulting plague began by wiping out many of the most influential and powerful people in the kingdom, before spreading to the wider populace. Carisona collapsed into the four smaller kingdoms we know now, Maresca in the north, then Alvarado, Caris, and the great expanse of Cold Sudek in the south. For centuries, these lands have indulged in trade, politics, internecine squabbling, and occasional brief wars. But, by and large, with so much shared history and a church in common, they remained on good terms until very recently. A couple of years ago, a cult emerged in southern Sudek from the very edges of the Great Ice. It swept across the country rapidly in an event now referred to as the Cold Revolution. The twin prophets at the heart of the cult now hold the king's palace in Merwall. A heretic army confronts the knights of the church on the border with Caris, and a steady flow of septarian refugees move north, bearing tales of cold winter magic and sinister changes among the people they once knew. It seems that there will be war, but the first hammer blow of the Ice Watchers was averted by a handful of heroes who held a pass against an invading army. The Ice Watchers were driven back, but their determination grows ever stronger, and behind them a cold and relentless mind reaches for freedom and for domination. Welcome to Crudely Drawn Swords.
Sunday School Report for Banbury Lutz. Banbury's made good progress this term in a number of key areas of development. Number one, health and physical education. To look at him, Banbury is a scrawny wretch of a child. He has a poor understanding of basic hygiene, and personal grooming extends almost exclusively to touching himself inappropriately. However, he has taken splendidly to long walks in the countryside, cross-country runs through the woods, and potholing. Good show, lad. Number two, the arts. Of all those that have accompanied me on my recent journeys, I can say that Banbury is without doubt the most accomplished at drawing cartoon penises. He has a rich artistic future ahead of him. A plus for both effort and attainment. Number three, science. Banbury has been creative in his application of pharmacological solutions to dilemmas that he, and by extension we, have faced. Whilst hard to endorse his methods, one has to admire his eagerness for the subject. Number four, interpersonal development. Banbury lacks a certain moral... Um, Banbury lacks morals... However, I am both proud and incredibly impressed that when push came to shove, he stepped up and delivered. And he really did deliver. That's why, to conclude, I wish to report that I am arranging a special treat for the lad by means of thanks, and to repay the debt of gratitude that I owe both personally and on behalf of the church. Having returned from our missive, I'll not see him out on the streets. I have initially arranged accommodation at the Priory. Once he's done with rehab... Then I've personally chosen and sponsored a place for him in a prestigious institute of arcane education, St. Hogan's, board and lodge included. I've no doubt that he will excel within their great walls and relish the exclusive opportunity we've secured. I only hope that it's a sufficient gesture to demonstrate our thanks. Kind regards, sire. I'm arranging to copy this to both Banbury and the master at St. Hogan's for their records. The hulking shape of St Hogan's School forms a familiar part of the boundary between Upton and the city centre in Farmouth. Its grey stone form placed beside the road up to the Priory. Run by the church, the school's remit has always been to offer education to those with an aptitude for magic, helping them to find a valuable career, turning out healers, alchemists, smith enchanters, and in many cases priests. To guide their young charges towards a virtuous life, St. Hogan's place a strong emphasis on clean living, good manners, and giving every opportunity to become a valuable pillar of the community. Within those greystone walls and echoing corridors, a new residence has been making an impression on the staff and students with the arrival of young Banbury Lutes. So how has Banbury been fitting in? Yeah, not well, I would imagine. He was raised on the mean... Not, not even streets, the mean... <laughs> the mean woodland paths. Little squirrels running around, knife-fighting each other, and bunnies giving each other death bites. I've seen Watership Down. I know how real <laughs> it is out there. Oh, it was so, that bad? Yeah, it's, it's that bleak black rabbit everywhere. I've seen Bambi. We all know how it is out there. Like... So you've been staying there a little while, thanks to Percy's generous uh, recommendation. And it will be fair to say Banbury isn't quite part of the in crowd. Yeah, so I've been hanging out there. The things I was going to try and get done were a little bit of research on the Fae. So I've got my Eldritch Join the Dot 
So I was going to use that as my part of a ritual. And so you're going to try and get a bit more direct knowledge of the Fae. Your research has turned up more or less accounts that seem to treat them in quite a whimsical way and certainly not take them as seriously as Malaika seemed to, or indeed as your mum takes them. You leave my mum out of this. People who spend more time outside town tend to take them a little more seriously. I'll collect as much like bits and bobs that I need and I'll go and do it in my room. I don't really want their okay. involvement. I don't want to talk to these people. Of course. I don't want to join House Hugglepuff or whatever the other <laughs> idiots want to be doing. A few weeks into his stay, Banbury is ready to perform this spell, this scrying. So describe what Banbury's doing. I'm going to try and do a research ritual on Ambiforax. Or as I like to call him, Rumple Dickskin. But I'm not sure <laughs> if I call him that during the ritual, it'll work. So, I need something that links to him. Yep. And I don't really want to go into his forest. No. Because that seems like a dumb idea. And equally, no one in the towns really believe in Faye, and therefore there's no real links to him here. However, one of his imaginary dogs did bite me on the leg. So, yes. I'm going to have a scab on my leg, <laughs> which I'm now going to pick and use as a ritual focus as it is linked to the dog and that will then link to him. So I'm going to use that as a ritual focus. I'm going to draw a chalk circle around it just in case anything turns up and then I will brew some potions uh, which will put me in a trance-like state where I can see and hear things that maybe aren't technically going on in the normal world. I see, yes, that sounds quite uh, appropriate. I'm just wondering if maybe you need to add a few shavings from the scab into the potion. Well, that's pretty grim, but whilst I'm disgusted by that, Banbury probably wouldn't be. So, um, fine. He puts some scab in the potions, along with the eye of newt and the wing of bat. Let's just describe Banbury's preparations here. So, to ensure I'm not disturbed, I'm going to lock myself in my room. Make sure the window's open so it's got a bit of fresh air coming in because cauldron brewing creates some foul smells I do actually need to breathe uh, I'm going to start by drawing well, picking the scab putting a little bit in a chalk circle so that if I do summon anything by accident it's trapped and the rest of it into the cauldron and I'm going to put in the whatever it is that goes in the potions No, you actually know this so what, what does go into it? Eye of Newt Wing of Bat so it can take flight you know all the standard stuff Yeah, yeah Maybe I have a first year student if I can get one or is that that's too much? <laughs> Probably too much. Probably some mushrooms just for good measure to make sure I'm at that certain state of trance where I can appreciate the scrying fully. Maybe some oxtail soup just for flavour. That's a good idea. You see, people don't think about having a good stock base for yeah. your uh, potions. But if you're going to drink them, that's really going to add to your benefit. Mm-mm-mm. Delicious. Then I'm going to glug that back like it was the most delicious lunch I've ever had. Then I'm going to sit there until the drugs and potion kick in. Banbury focuses on the scab and he finds himself getting more and more fascinated by the detail and the endless layering of its surface. And he feels as though he's getting smaller and it's getting bigger. And then he just sees it seem to dissolve into lines and then to this blur of psychedelic colour. And it is impossible to know what is what. Everything is clouds and strands of colour and light. And out of this, he gets not a sight, but a sense 
of Ambiforax. The idea of Ambiforax is there in this cloud and these strands of light and colour are gradually becoming more defined and beginning to intermingle and interweave and they start twisting together in ever more complex knots and patterns. It feels like the whole of reality is twisting and blending together and blazing into this strange, changing, chaotic form that slowly begins to become more ordered and more visible. And then suddenly it's darkness and stars start to appear one by one in different places as though they were being lit like candles. Banbury feels that he's standing on the ground and the sun rises fast and he has the feeling of Ambiforax and the feeling of other minds like Ambiforax and minds different from Ambiforax. There are trees growing, the world is green. A moment ago it was ash and now it's green and it's growing, trees are bursting from the ground, forests are appearing and through all this you feel in all of it this sense of the existence of Ambiforax. The sense diminishes and you get a feeling of dissipation and it grows dark as night falls and then you feel a flickering and you see forests grow and vanish and you see creatures move across the land and you don't recognise most of them. Some of them are strange, some of them are completely unlike anything you've seen, others are familiar. You have a sense of time and it's night and a third moon is hanging in the sky. A moment later that's gone and you just see clouds on the mountains. You move in a dreamlike way where you don't think about moving but you're suddenly somewhere else and it makes sense that you're there even though you weren't there a moment before and you're in a city and the city is built out of pale towers that seem to be grown from the rock you've never seen anything as grand as this you've seen only really small towns Farmouth is perhaps as big as you've seen but this is 50 times 100 times larger built of these towers bridged between them and this endless elegant architecture that seems to be grown from the ground itself and suddenly the city is burning and now you have a sense of Ambiforax and the people who lived in the city are running from the flames and they are hunted and they are hunted by creatures you've seen and they're hunted by creatures like nothing you've seen like nothing that should be able to live like a snake that instead of a tongue is just got like a crab actually the crab for hands it has two more snakes, and both of those snakes have crabs for tongues. The problem with that kind of stuff when you're tripping out is you focus so much on that that the important stuff, like whether Ambiforex is coming to kill me, just wasted because I'm too busy going, is this endless crabs and snakes? Where, you know, I can't get a magnifying <laughs> glass in it whilst tripping out. I also clearly put way, way too much mushrooms in this uh, <laughs> potion. But yeah, carry on with this lovely... And the city is burning, and you know that all the cities are burning. And the towers that you saw are falling. And for a moment, against the sky, you seem to see the silhouette of Ambiforax somewhere between the two forms you saw, like a huge giant, but in a more human shape with these great spined shoulders and this massive form. And you hear his laughter and you've moved somewhere else and you can see the mountains in the distance and you can see smoke reaching in pillars to the sky. 
at the foot of the mountains and then suddenly you see a pillar of light arise and wash across the sky you feel that sense of dissipation the strong idea of ambiforax is no longer there you look up at the sky and it's getting dark and you can see the southern lights starting to glow and you wouldn't normally see those this great penumbra that rises in green columns of light above the southern ice and you're feeling very cold what do you do am i still in the in the dream state you feel that you're still you're still in the vision but you're starting to get more sense of yourself okay so usually when i'm tripping like this do i wake myself up out of them or should i be exploring so like a cave you feel as though you're on a wide plane under this flickering sky. You think you probably could wake yourself up. Okay, does it look... But you also could explore. Firstly, and most importantly, in the snow beneath me, I'm assuming there's snow. Or there is cold. snow. Okay, so first I'm going to write Banbury was ear um, <laughs> in the snow with piss. As you do that, the lights above seem to get brighter. Okay. And you feel colder. When you look up at the lights... The strange thing about them is that although they're almost everywhere, there's almost like a shape, a vaguely humanoid shape in them. Right. Is there seven bright lights, as in the seven sisters, or is this something else? No, it's more like a wall of aurora reaching across the sky. Okay. Um, the single shape you see does not have any spines on its shoulders or any resemblance to Ambiforax. Does it look like any of the goddesses uh, that I know about from the various books? It does not. Okay, does it look like anything I've ever seen before? It's shaped vaguely humanoid. Okay. You, are, you have a sense absolutely different in many respects from the sense of Ambiforax. Okay. Do I know anything about Sudek, like the Sudek priest god? You have heard a name, which is Ulumbriya. Okay, and... Is it is Ulumbriya described as a humanoid? Yes. Okay, so what I'll do is make my very best attempt to remember this, despite being obviously high on drugs, and the, what this looks like. And I'll call out, see if anything can communicate with me. I doubt it can, because I'm purely scrying, and also in some kind of weird future state. So does anything respond if I call out? Yo, dickbags! You suddenly have a sense of a great and powerful attention drawn directly to you. It's a little like that dream where you're having to talk to the big crowd of all your wildlife friends in the forest and you suddenly realise you're completely naked. Only much more intense. You feel completely exposed on this icy plain beneath this strange green sudden lights holding the attention of some immense power. Brambury's brave as long as he's not actually in any physical danger. He's all about mouthing off at stuff because he <laughs> doesn't think that he's going to actively die. Do I know, can you die in scrying? Like, if you're in some kind of weird astral plane, can it hurt you? You've heard of people who went scrying and never came back. Okay. That is a risk, and their body just kind of withers away. Let's be honest, then. This isn't something that Banbury's uh, going to dick about with. I'll try and wake up. Um, all right, I'd like you to make a defy danger on intelligence. Nice. So I had a success, just to be clear. This was a complete success, because uh, whatever else he is, Banbury is weirdly a genius. Mm -hmm. Getting this sense of danger, you call yourself back. 
and you pull hard on the thread that connects you home and you feel this attention follow you and as you rush back you actually glimpse the ground passing beneath you and you're passing north you pass over army camps and over the rolling landscape you glimpse for a moment the houses of uh, Farmouth, and then you're back in your body and it is unbelievably cold there are ice crystals on your robes there is ice spreading out around your body as you pull yourself off the floor there's like an outline of Banbury that isn't frost and everything else is completely frosted and as you look out the window you glimpse that the sky is flickering with the southern lights you've never seen them this far north before so <laughs> given the scrying right was how much shit am i in for mouthing off at ambiforax probably on a <laughs> one to ten i'd give that a ten <laughs> then through scrying on ambiforax pissing off the god which is eventually powerful enough to destroy ambiforax and seemingly is the source of some great big army attacking i'd give that maybe a 20 <laughs> so all in all a real success story well played me so we're in this tavern what's it called the boggy ranch the boggy ranch <laughs> great the boggy ranch is the kind of tavern that really does somewhat play on the reputation of the bogside part of Farmouth. It's not quite as dank, not quite as dark, and certainly a deal less dangerous than the few actual taverns in the bogside part of town. However, it still claims to have that slight element of danger, and so it's a natural place for Enigma to uh, want to hang out. It, it's almost her spiritual home. I love it here. I just, I just feel like they're my people. Yeah, that's exactly it. They, they really belong, and you fit right in. And it shows what an open and friendly area this really is when you get to know it. The fact that often when there are visitors from other parts of town, they'll, they'll call in at the boggy ranch, you know, or out of town visitors. It's it's kind of like the gateway to Bogside in a way, but it, it shows the more welcoming and friendly side of these wonderful people. They they really are truly the people of Farmouth, the real people. They are. So in this tavern, what kind of place in it would uh, Enigma choose? What What's she going to be doing? I'd say I'm probably writing in my very trendy journal. I've, I'm obviously writing a journal. Yeah, because you've read a lot of books. And I've read a lot. I reckon I could write a travel journal myself. Yeah, you could definitely be a travel journalist. So you're maybe set up at like one of the tall, they've got like one of those like long wall shelf table things with bar stools yeah. along it on one side. I'm sure there's a proper word for that, but I can't English it. And Enigma sat there, and a fella kind of slightly sidles up to her. Hello. He's quite uh, quite nondescript, and he he uh, says, "Hello, I I'm Merriweather." Hello, Merriweather. What's uh, what's your business? Well, I believe you may be uh, the individual known as Enigma. Enigma. Who's asking? Well, I am. Oh. I work for. 
various people around town. I'm sure that one with your experience is aware of the need for discretion. Always, always. This is a case where discretion is certainly necessary. Taps nose. (laughs) He gives you a slow nod. (laughs) Slow nod. He's wearing quite a long coat and he's... You know, he he looks quite ordinary, but he's a little bit stylish too. But Ooh. he's not he's not as stylishly ordinary as you. I'm the stylishly stylishest normal person ever. Yeah, you're you're like one hundred percent ordinary stroke stylish. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, got the look. I'm on fleek. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally bay. No one knows what these words mean. We're I'm forty. I'm nearly 40. So, Merriweather says, I'm looking for someone with a certain set of skills, which I believe you may have. Oh, I've got loads of skills. I've got loads, loads. Uh, Which ones? Well, my associates wish to retrieve something which we've mislaid. Mislaid? We've mislaid it. Well, I say we. Of course, I mean they. Right, of course. They, They have mislaid it. And someone else appears to have picked it up and wandered off with it. Oh, I don't know. That's uh, very unfortunate. Um, what? What's? What is it that you've mislaid? Well, th- this is this is very very hush hush, and you must understand that we know who picked it up and we know where it can be found. But what we need is someone who's very good at getting to places quietly and removing people's property and retrieving it. Oh, yes. That sounds like the sort of thing I could imagine myself doing. He says, well, and and this is important. We need you to be an independent operator because this is the kind of job where if the jenks or the skulls got too involved or it could upset the balance of the town and we'd hate for that to happen as you know so we need someone independent i'm very independent and uh someone skilled and able to i'm very skilled retrieve this article that my associates have mislaid so you believe you have the ability to do this work i should think so but uh, who are your associates I am not at liberty to discuss such things, I fear. However, I am at liberty to show you this. He shows you a purse, and he just, like, empties a little bit into his hand, and it is very full of gold. There is a lot of money in there. (laughs) (laughs) He says, I'm confident that this would be enough both to pay for your troubles, which are likely to be minor, and also to... uh, Enable you to forget the name of Merriweather? I can't remember it already. I have no doubt. Though I may wish you to uh, recall it long enough to return with my associate's article. Now, this is why it is a little challenging. The article is currently being held in Upton Priory. Okay. So, as you can imagine, no common gutter snipe or average run-of-the-mill pickpocket would be able to make their way into such a heavily fortified structure. Oh, I think they could. I think certainly I could. Yes, they they could not, but all evidence suggests that perhaps you could. Oh, certainly. I'm, I'm good at this stuff. It's, uh, it's what I do. It's what I do. I wish you to retrieve a sword, which my associates have mislaid. It is 
of very little practical value. However, it has great significance to them. Personal heirloom of theirs. You know how it is. I know. how. I mean, I wouldn't know how it is, but I understand sentimentality. Indeed. And these are sentimental people, I dare say, but also tremendously rich. So do you feel that this is work you will be able to accept? I don't see why not. Excellent. Very well, then. I will provide you with this map, giving you a detailed plan of the area of the Priory where we believe it to be stored. It will be in a specific kind of case, which will be recognisable by a set of runes marked on the top of it. All you have to do is reach this location, retrieve the sword, Mm -hmm. and then return it to me. I shall provide you with a drop location as follows. And he hands you a note with a uh, simple set of instructions for where to drop the item off when it's retrieved. He says, I can pay you 50 gold now Mm -hmm. in order to offset any costs you may have ahead of time. And then perhaps 150 gold further upon the successful retrieval of the item. That, okay. It is quite a uh, challenging, a challenging retrieval. Indeed, and I, I believe that paying more than ten times the average man's yearly wage reflects that appropriately. Yes, I know the average man's yearly wage. <laughs> Certainly. Um, yes, yes, I, I will need those 50 gold, though. I've got to um, get new shoes. Of course, of course. Sneaking shoes. Very well, very well. A pleasure doing business with you. And you too, sir. And he shakes your hand. He gives you a purse containing 50 gold pieces. Gives you a little bow and walks out of the boggy ranch. It's a chilly night. A waft of cold air comes in from the street as the doors of the minstrel's reprieve open briefly to allow a small group of people in. Tristan's seen them in the tavern a few times since his return. So the reprieve's friendly atmosphere and outstanding music seems to be drawing them into the community there. There are a lot of new faces around town since he left, many of them refugees from the south, septarians escaping from the growing power of the Ice Watchers. Tristan has mostly noticed this group because of one member, who is a strikingly beautiful lady and very much his type. What does that mean? What does she look like? Tall, elegant, dancey. My type's changed of late, so I don't know her hair-wise could be anything from black to fiery red. So <laughs> and let's go for a redhead. Go for a classic Sinedra-looking girl, but like a tall Sinedra, basically. <laughs> we are talking tall, powerful version of Sinedra. Oh, yeah, she, you know, she looks, she looks pretty uh, powerful, and she's yeah. got that long red hair. She looks like the sort of woman I should be wary of getting everything I own. <laughs> so just be aware that I've clocked. Precisely. It's funny because she she glances over to him a time or two from the bar. He doesn't really pay much attention to uh, to her friends, but he certainly really notices her. Classic, and uh, <laughs> and the music's good, and it's a pretty good evening. He's probably chatting with a few acquaintances around the place. But at one point where he gets up to the bar, this lady kind of sidles in beside him, and she says, "Aren't you Tristan Wilde?" And characteristic two crudely drawn swords, I shall give her a little nod. (laughs) 
Yes, my lady. The one and one and only. And you are And she says, My name my name is Hannah. Hannah Gulch. Hannah Gulch. A beautiful name. <laughs> <laughs> it really rolls off the tongue. Um Hannah Gulch. <laughs> I don't do that. <laughs> well, as you will be aware, Obviously. in in Karis, it's very common for members of the aristocracy to have oh, value-related yeah. names. I do remember that from a so, previous conversation. So a gulch is a relatively um, small valley, and these are a yeah. relatively minor southeastern-based aristocratic family, but you certainly recognise the name. And you recognise it in particular um, because you've met someone of that name before. Uh, specifically a fellow called Jail Gulch, who you knew as Lordy. Yeah, the little kid. I didn't really meet him, though. I didn't have, I knew of him, and we had a little bit of back and forth. Yes, yes, but he was... I overheard uh, his conversations with Cleft about trying to say I'm a pretty big deal. Yeah, yeah. Thinking, and she says, yes, my brother actually said good things about you after the events at the wall. He was a good man. He was a, he fought well. I mostly remember him as a bit of a pain in the ass, but we were pretty Ooh. young when he moved out. He, he's probably grown up a lot since then. He's kept some of those qualities. <laughs> no, he was good. I think everyone on that wall deserves to be held in high regard now. She says, what are you drinking? Mead. Classic mead. She orders two glasses of mead and she passes one to you. She says, why don't you tell me a bit about the time at the wall? I, I want, I want to know what, what happened there. Mm, I'll give oh, yeah. it, you know, I'll, I'll embellish. And yeah. The, the thing is, it's all very raw still, so it's still not quite a, it's not like a, oh, we had fun, and blah, it's still a bit of a, you know, what happened on the wall stays on the wall type yeah. type story. So she'll get a little bit of information, but I think she senses my hesitation to to explain. And, and she says, this is amazing. It, you really are one of the heroes of Karis. I'm I'm very impressed. Well, I'm, as the line says, I'm just a bard, my lady. <laughs> and then kind of the wind catches, as my hair's blown. <laughs> it's like someone else has walked in the door and there's a big draft and suddenly. <laughs> your hair blows. And then, like the then, candles flicker almost like somewhat <laughs> ominously, actually. She's like, oh. She kind of, the mood changes drastically. And she kind of looks at the person that just came in through the door and looks momentarily concerned. Oh. Uh, is it someone you recognise? Yes. Who is it? A rival bard. Oh, no. Yeah. One, one of these kind of upstarts yeah. from the I just uh, know him as Dandy, and I'm like... Oh, oh that Dandy kind of guy. Squint across, and he sort of does a similar Tristan Dandy, even though we've, we've learned how to throw <laughs> our voices. And she kind of glances at him, and then she looks back to you, and she's like, she's clearly a lot more interested in you than she is in him. I'm going to give him one of those... Uh-huh. And, and and she like clinks your glasses together yes, and, good girl, uh, good girl. and then knocks back a big swig of mead. Oh, the problem is I've got my natural Shanksian fear of people poisoning me. <laughs> so I'm like going to sit there looking at the glass and I'm like, oh, I've just come back from the wall where I made a lot of enemies. <laughs> like, oh, I'm like, have I got some kind of like fake drinking skill where I've obviously I've gone to these taverns where I'm trying to sort of some I, you know I've played well, in some rough taverns yeah you've played some I rough don't want to get places. drunk but I have to play act drunk so I can 
being with yeah, the poor people. Yeah, so certainly. I think there's a certain level of okay, yeah. So, so you're going. There's a certain degree of suspicion on Tristan's part. Yeah. Now I've basically spent my last two weeks locked in a room, getting wasted, <laughs> trying to uh, unsee what cannot be unseen. <laughs> I'm still pretty shaken about boots. Remember? Yeah, yeah, and that's understandable. I was such a ladies' man. <laughs> <laughs> the evening goes on a little bit. How how are you concealing that you're not drinking <laughs> this drink? Like like, like d- describe this scene for me. Well, I think <laughs> in theory, <laughs> my mouth's just getting bigger and bigger. <laughs> Hams the cheeks. I was like, mm. <laughs> 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 and I get more quiet. <laughs> It's nice though. She gets to do more of the talking. Um, mm, 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 mm. <laughs> <laughs> I have to like sit on a subtle little spits. Is there like a plant or something? Yeah, there's got to be like something nearby. I'm just like, <laughs> or just like me drizzling down my t-shirt. T-shirt? I don't know why I'm wearing a t-shirt. No, I shall indulge. I shall. Let's take the okay. risk. Let's see what happens. Okay, that's uh, that's live. good. Got to live vicariously. And she says, "Tell tell me about uh, tell me about Percival Cleft." Percival Cleft, he's a very honourable man. You you make it sound like that's too honourable. No, I would have thought that at one point, but now he's worth the hype. That's a man you can trust. That's very impressive. I've heard very good things about him. He's you're a good fe- man. You're feeling very drunk. Yeah, I was thinking. I'm like. Oh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I'm like, let me tell you about Percy. <laughs> oh, fuck it. I've been on the wall. <laughs> Maybe it's the reverse. My ambitions. I'm like, fuck it. <laughs> well, why don't you give me a defy danger with constitution? Who knew? <laughs> the reason Shanks stayed alive as long as he did. because <laughs> I didn't trust a single son of a bitch. Ooh, that's not bad. Eight. Yes. So you feel quite dizzy and woozy. You've experienced this before, in fact, deliberately. <laughs> But, but this seems like you get the impression that she has dropped yeah. something in your wine. But at the same time, you're not really equipped to do very much. Like, you are still too dizzy to be an immediate man of action without falling straight on your ass. Yeah, well, that's, I'm used um, to that. So that's why so, I'm <laughs> after so, the wall. So what do you do? Um, I'm going to try and conceal it from her. Yeah. As best I can. I'm I'm an actor, so I yes. can act. So I'm just gonna <laughs> big deep breath, and I'm just gonna stand up tall, and hopefully I won't get head rushed. I'm just gonna <laughs> lean nonchalantly against the bar, which is not too far away that I fall yeah, on my yeah. ass. Just... <laughs> you don't do the Del Boy classic. Yeah, I'm not going to do anything. Um, and I'm not even gonna roll. She says, "What about your friend, the wizard? How how did he get on?" Very well. It's pretty obvious at this point. I'm like your dubious son of a bitch. I'm like, you know what I'm going to do. I'm going to be yep. like, my lady, enough about me. Let's speak frankly for a minute. <laughs> Boom! Okay, okay, so just explain what Charming and Open says. Yeah, so basically, it's when I speak frankly with someone, that bit was involved, um, I can ask the player or person mm-hmm. a question from the list below. They must answer truthfully. Oh, and they must ask me a question from the list, which I must also answer truthfully. Yes. So, I'm going to have to ask who she serves. <laughs> I'd be like, no, enough about me, my lady. Well, I think it's pretty obvious, my lady, that uh, you're not really here just for chitter-chatter, are you? And who do you serve? And she says, I serve Ulumbriya. She says, how can I get you to leave here with me tonight? Oh, my lady. 
<laughs> can you get me here to leave you? Um, you you got to be charming and open. You got to give an honest answer like, to that, my lady. There was there would have been a point when a simple roll in the hay would have done it, but I'm a changed man now, so I genuinely don't know. And that's an honest answer. Wow, I actually don't know an answer to that now. The wall has changed me in many ways. <laughs> Um, so, I don't know. Well, Tell me where we're going to go, I guess. <laughs> Tell me what your plans are, and then I'll, I will consider whether or not I want to go with you. That's completely reasonable. <laughs> that is That's an honest basically reply. an honest answer. Yeah. So, the legends of old, Ullumbriah is a name that has occasionally been used in stories. And she turns up sometimes as a hero sometimes as something akin to a folk devil sometimes as something in between sometimes almost like a goddess Ooh. other times like a powerful spirit well whatever she is she is associated with the great southern ice oh okay (laughs) yeah cool cool okay I'm going to be honest, my lady. I'm not super keen on ice people at the moment. <laughs> I think we, we, both, we both know why. The name hasn't been heard much in these parts for a long time. So, uh, hmm. so you're, you're having the, that's why it kind of came to you a little slow because you had to drag like, it out of some deep like, places. Oh, shit bags. <laughs> like, you're not really here just for the sparkling company <laughs> and good music, are you? Uh, she smiles and says, those are a fringe benefit. Yes, yes, they are, as is your beauty. Let's cut to the chase. She says, very well. And and she just sidles don't beside just you <laughs> and there's a dagger yeah, like, into your side. Me. And she's like, why, why don't you come with me, mm-hmm. Mr. Mm-hmm. Wilde? And I'm like, ladies and gentlemen, for one night only, may I introduce... Mr. Tristan Wilde and his dear accomplice. And I'm going to point to her. Let us sing you a song of the tales we know. For a brief moment, she looked like a hare in the Huntsman's Lantern. At least there's a brief moment before she regains. And then she is out the door real fast. Son of a bitch. I, oh no, if I follow her, that's exactly what she wants. (laughs) But I might kind of stumble towards the door. And sort of open and just have a look which way she goes. But not enough that she could drag me out and pull me into the night and kill me. <laughs> and play right into her hands. There's like a doorman on the door, but his yeah. job's keeping people out. Yeah. Keeping people out, not keeping yeah. them in. So, um, but she's out of sight. Oh, I'm going to shout, call me! <laughs> oh, I kind of wanted to. Uh... <laughs> and then I kind of slip back. I'm like, oh, son of a gun. Percy, you find yourself in the rather delightful, by the standards of the church, formal office of Preceptor Arroyo, the head of your order and the master of the chapter house in Upton. Preceptor Oreo. Arroyo. Oreo. Not Oreo. Mm-mm. An Oreo isn't a geological feature. <laughs> God. <laughs> he pours you a uh, slug of brandy. Uh, good stuff from Alvarado. Pulls himself one. Clinks glasses. Preceptor Arroyo says, Now, now, Percy, this really takes the biscuit. (laughs) (laughs) Explain, Preceptor. We've heard some worrying rumours. As you are aware, we've got all those visitors 
from down south. The ones really running from that cult they've got going on down there got them staying on the edge of town down in the uh down on the canvas streets there and the refugees were a little concerned they may have brought some undesirable elements with them mm, very well now just between you and me mm. we've had some rather suspicious reports we've got some evidence that there may be some sort of group from the cult that might be operating in the town of Farmer hmm. for reasons as yet unknown. Now, you're a solid chap. You've got a very good record. And you. you seem to have the capacity to put together a reliable team of the right sorts. You know, good upstanding folk. Now, I was wondering if we could maybe rely on you to perhaps look into this and just to see whether a bit of digging turns anything up. Yeah, so you want me to rough up some Im- immigrants from what I'm saying? <laughs> well, I, I guess we could do something like that. No, no. A, a lot of them are good, hard-working folk. When it comes to putting together a team, then um, let me assure you that uh, I have some people in mind that I I would certainly describe as, as people that I know. <laughs> jolly good, jolly good. That is capital. Hmm. And speaking of capital, with the occasional complaints we get from the watch uh, regarding jurisdiction, judicial process, and so on. Yes. We we do need to handle the townsfolk with a certain amount of kid gloves. Obviously, we are an entirely civil trap, and I, yes, of course. And I know that your skills and diplomacy will suit this perfectly, but it would be a shame if anything got too badly burnt down, or the townspeople were panicked, or there was a collapse of the Naval Academy or something like that. So if you could just, you know, keep it a bit hush-hush, maybe, and try not to offend too many people or avoid, as it were, collateral damage, we'd be very grateful. Hmm, Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, as a church, may tell people what to think, how to think it, engage on hostile crusades and consider ourselves the arbiters of morality, but let it not be said that we don't all do it for the purposes of good. And, uh... Well, quite, quite. You see, and this... yes, if you'd like me to keep it on the, the lowdown, then I'm sure that we could arrange that. I can't imagine that anybody that I would invite along would, would do any such thing as draw attention to ourselves or start fires. Um, anyway, I'll, I'll send out some runners uh, immediately and, uh, and try to get a team together. Jolly good show. Jolly good. Well, off you go then. And uh, Percy, goddess go with you. Best of luck to you. And, and you too, uh, Master Ovio. It's a tough job, but that's the way the cookie crumbles. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and I will go and speak to one of the, the squires knocking around the priory um, and ask them to send runners to Tristan Wild, Banbury Lutes, and uh, Enigma, if indeed she can be found. <laughs> <laughs> All right, good. Shortly afterwards, at your quarters, there's a knock on the door. And Tristan and Bambury both arrive. Tristan, Bambury, what a coincidence that you should arrive together. This is unexpected. You you were just brought over by squires. <laughs> this is actually my new quarters. You're probably unfamiliar with it. You, so, and in fact, you, you've never been here. I've been here. Spartan existence in the church, of course. 
I <laughs> use my eyes to look around. By which I mean we're all ripped and only wear pants. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, so it's a very classy room. There's a uh, blue stone chest on one side of it. There's a big wardrobe. And hung beside that is Percy's proper show-scale armour. And uh, the curtains are pretty heavy and lustrous. But it's a south-facing window. It catches a lot of sunshine. All in all, really quite a classy establishment. Well, Percy, you're doing well for yourself, I see. Ah, yes, the goddess rewards those with faith. Can we leave Farmer soon? Because I'm fed up of staying at the weird little creepy school. Ah, that's not a weird little creepy school. I thought that you perhaps deserved a reward for all of the hard effort that you put in, Bambury Lutes. And I know that you're looking to excel as a mage. I thought perhaps that uh, that private institution best that money could buy would assist you somewhat. So how have you got on? Uh, not amazingly well. I'm pretty sure I'm going to get expelled soon. But that's fine, because if oh, we just well, leave, um... that's also fine. So I've had some really good things, like uh, I've been I... given full access to all of the equipment, so I managed to convince the entire faculty to do a spell to help the war effort and summon uh, an item which was of key import. So that worked. So well, that That's good. And let's get on to the reason that you're being expelled, because I did pull a few strings to get you into that school well probably that thing that i was just talking about the the war effort their understanding of what was important for the war effort and how much money should be spent on something like that and mine was different so i mean how much money were you talking i don't know i think it was like quarter of the annual budget for their for their thing but that's certainly significant um but you know i I put my faith in you ben willits um Yep. So, so you know, just like you're saying, goddess reward people are like faculty of magic rewards mages. So I've got Jabruce back. That's been summoned from the bottom of the well. Here it is. It's half a brick. Oh, well, that's great. Yep, I know. It is pretty good. Like, uh, yeah. So I we've done that. I've also found out where the armies of Sudek are going. So that's a positive. Well, that 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 is significant. Um, you summoned a brick. Uh, yeah, but I also found out where those armies are going, so, you know. I, I, I Presumably, though, I mean, in the course of summoning the brick, you um, calculated how to summon other things of such use, such as mysterious artefacts that we spent some time recovering. No, you time. can only summon mundane items, and it, it takes quite a long ritual and quite a lot of money, it turns out, so I don't think we'll be doing that again. Also, I can't cast it, my spell. That, that's great. Um, that's, that's really good. But... I found out what can get rid of... So, you know that fae that attacked me in Enigma? The fae? Why the... Why on earth did you summon a bloody brick? What? No, it's imp- It's not a brick, it's Bruce. This is like a family heirloom to me. Also, half a brick. It's half a... It's not even a whole brick. <laughs> this is... It's important. Yeah, this is where I get my power from. Like, a wizard's familiar is ah. very important. Y- you know, if I'm going to be yeah. any use to you, I need this brick. Guys, I was nearly assassinated. Whoa! What? what? That's a... Boom. Thank you. Mic drop. Yep. Is this related to the brick? Did somebody try to hit you in the head with a brick and a sock? Because if they did, it was probably Bambury. No, no, no. I think I think we need to move on from this conversation straight to the... Who tried to kill you, Tristan? Was it Enigma? Yeah. No, surprisingly. Um, that girl couldn't kill you. She's <laughs> useless. <laughs> Wait. Um. Wait, no. <laughs> Although she probably could kill Bambury. You hear a quiet, angry noise coming from the direction of the wardrobe. 
Yes, my wardrobe sometimes makes that sound. I mean, I, yeah, I'll get that scene yeah. too in, in due course. Um, excuse me a second, I'll just go out to the door um, and shout for a priory squire. Squire! Hello, sir! <laughs> um, yes, my, my my wardrobe's grunting again. Can you send a maintenance guy up, please? Of course, sir! Of course you can. Thank you, lad. All right, back in. So um, you were being assassinated or something, Tristan? So how come Jabruce is smaller now? Hang on, you just interrupted us to tell us that you were assassinated. <laughs> What's the deal with that? Whoa, wait, whoa. I wasn't assassinated. I'm still here. Uh, sorry, an attempted assassination that obviously through cunning and wild you managed to avoid. Um, it, that's true. Cunning and wild. <laughs> <laughs> I've lost interest already. Like, where's Enigma? Anyway, um... You got stabbed or you didn't get stabbed? Oh, Tell us about stabbed. how you didn't get stabbed. There was just some lady. It was a priestess of Sudek. All my um, musical distractions on the wall may have drawn a target on my back for some reason. It's uh, some kind of weirdly obsessive fan. Well, yeah, maybe, actually. Maybe that's... that's all. Maybe it wasn't related to the war effort at all. I doubt it. I doubt it. <laughs> I think we can just brush that under the carpet, in fact. Yeah. Moving on. Yeah. A maintenance guy comes knocking at the door. Uh, open the door. Uh, hello. Uh, uh, hello, sir. What what seems to be the problem? Uh, my wardrobe is grunting. Could you oh, take a look, please? Very good. Very good. He steps over and he looks at you again. Your wardrobe is grunting. Yes, 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 yes. Um, oh, I'm talking to right. these these people. If you just carry on with it. Uh, so, Whoa. I'm going to um, turn to Banbury and I'm like, wow, look how power's changed him. <laughs> He's just dismissed that guy. Yeah. The old Percy would have spent time talking and been respectful. This new guy doesn't care. Do you know what, Tristan? You're right. Squire, I apologise for my th- insolence. This isn't a squire, <laughs> this is the maintenance guy. You, they don't all look oh, at the same. Whatever you're... Right, you there, boy! Yes, sir. <laughs> I apologise for my insolence. Now get out of the way. I'll open this wardrobe myself. Inside your wardrobe is Enigma. Surprise! <laughs> I was wow. just checking for lions um. and snow queens. <laughs> and there was a whole problem with the ice goddess, and often they're found in wardrobes. Anyway, it's fine. She's not in there. How oh. long have you been in there? Wait, are you two do- are you two doing it? <gasps> they are. That's why he was so keen to get rid of us. I think I'd have remembered if we were. We're not doing it, are we, Enigma? I, I don't think we are. I don't think so. No. The maintenance guy's like, right. uh, excuse me, I'll, I'll go now. And he just slips out of the room. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm guessing that there's a good reason you're in my wardrobe. Checking for ice, warriors. Well, that would be a bad reason. Uh, no, she, um, I was almost assassinated by one, so she may have been... They could be anywhere. They could be anywhere. In Enigma's defence. Perhaps defend. in this blue box thing over here. <laughs> I'm just going to take a little look in it, just checking for them in here too. Uh, you don't need to do that. Right. Uh, so, I'm just going to check in it. It's very important. It's for your own safety. Why do you want to check in the box? There might be ice warriors. I know what's in the box. It's my box. Full of ice warriors. I don't have a box of ice warriors. That's what you think. Yeah, how would you know? You didn't know you had a wardrobe full of Enigma. That is true, actually. That is true. I'm going to open the blue box. What's in the box? Um, the the, the magical sword is in the box. Oh, Just what? a sword. What a noob. Who hides it in a box? <laughs> it is a box in my room. I mean, I... well, there we go. There's no ice warriors in that. Can I pass There's... the sword? <laughs> I mean, you know, I've got conceal. I'm not sure even you are going to palm a sword in front of like, <laughs> three other people. <laughs> Or none of whom entirely trust you. Okay, I'll just put it back in 
the bot. Now, en- Enigma, are you high? Why have you come here and tried to steal my sword? What? How dare you? <laughs> I was checking for ice warriors in your wardrobe. Uh, of course you were. Uh, right. I mean, inexplicably, I I am going to ask you to assist with something that the, the church has tasked me with anyway. <laughs> I don't know. Let, let's assume that... Let's assume that hiding in my wardrobe, watching me sleep like some kind of creepy stalker, um, <laughs> endears you to me somehow. I don't know. Yeah, why are we here? Well, there are some immigrants on the south side of town <laughs> that we need to rough up, but we need to do it on the QT. Wait, hold on. So we've gone from... I know what whatever happened to us. We've fallen quite hard. Heroes of Windrush mm. Pass and You're two right. chumps. And now we're just four chumps. <laughs> um, so the the armies are the, uh, in the south have displaced an awful lot of uh, of people. Um, there's large gatherings of displaced persons on the south side of town uh, and refugees of war. Well, yeah, you could call them refugees. The church prefers to call them. Hold on, I'm I'm sort of confused because we left the wall with Percy the hero. And we seem to have come back with Percy the Racist. I'm not really sure <laughs> hey. what's gone on here. Do you know what, Tristan? You're right. This this does have a certain dark undertone, doesn't it? Let us go and investigate exactly what is going on at yes. the south side of town um, okay. and find out the truth for ourselves. And frankly, if we find out that the church are oppressing people um, for their own political benefit, then... Uh, we will have to have a, a little of a little bit of a shake up around the priory, um, but certainly Ooh. for. Actually, I was going to say I trust you, but I just found you in my wardrobe enigma. Um, <laughs> you are at least people that I I guess have assisted in some way in the past, and so therefore we shall all go together. Yes, let's go after you. I'm just going to hold the door open for them. Oh, that's very polite of you. Thank you, Enigma. I'll walk out. I also will walk out. That's very polite. I'll just um, take this sword with me. Damn it! <laughs> I thought you weren't going to rough up, though. Do you need the sword? This is a status symbol now. No, I just saw, um, you know, I, I just... It's all right, I'll... I, I wouldn't say, I'm, I'm not the most observant of chaps in the world, but when Enigma's pupils dilate at the size of a magical sword then it does alert me to a it's... few certain facts particularly when combined with finding him in my wardrobe so i'm just going to give it to somebody else for safety it's just a moment. very brightly colored sword which happens to make my pupils dilate i know it's beautiful isn't it so uh, yeah i'll hand the sword over to uh, i'll go and try and find quartermaster Covin to hand this sword over to okay good we should go undercover Ooh, i like that idea that's a great idea. Yeah. I'm great at sneaking. We can all do accents. I'm not. Yes. I was in his wardrobe for weeks and he didn't notice. I'm on board. Basically, I start to rummage in my pouch for spare clothes and start handing out these, like, disguises to each of us. Kind of like... Um, <laughs> Spectacles and fake noses. <laughs> Travelling rags and, like... I, I think um, I can affect, actually, a complete change in my personality and, and appearance just by my uh, clever ways of walking. Oh, excellent. Deception is not really my forte. Um, well, I'm going to give him basically a hood that covers his entire face. And I kind of, <laughs> I, I bend his leg at an awkward angle and I'm like, right, just walk with a limp. Talk, talk like this. How is it going to help if I've got a hood over my face? Hi. I don't even know what accent I'm trying to do there. Hi. I don't know where we're from, but let's just alienate as many listeners as we can. I think we should get more racist. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's really Probably. lovely how we've, we've taken various groups and just stereotyped them. It's taken a pretty dark turn pretty quickly, I'll be honest. <laughs> You find old Corin, and he is able to uh, lock 
the sword securely away in a warded container like the one in your court. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of put in the Priory safe room, which which he double locked. Where does he put... He's carrying the key. Mm, He looks weak, though. And one of his apprentices has the other key, because it's like a double lock. Oh, like a nuke. Yeah, that kind of thing. (laughs) (laughs) They don't have those in this world, but inexplicably that is how they lock newts away, so it's like a newt. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, thereby hangs a tail. (laughs) Yeah, it fell off. (laughs) You are uh, free to set about exploring town. On the southeast side of town, you have an area which is becoming known as the Canvas Streets because a lot of refugees from Sudek are staying in that area. But there are also the other parts of town that you know well. Um, you've got Upton by the town centre. You've got Boggyside down on the south side of town. And you've got the Harbour District with warehouses and shipwrights. And the kind of old quarter where there's a lot of the kind of the older buildings, older houses, and so on. I think that Tristan makes an important point. I will take a bit of a back seat and wear this stupid hood and walk <laughs> with a limp and speak with a strange accent. And perhaps if we can just monitor exactly the kind of things that are going on down there, then uh, we can get a bit of a handle for how things are playing out. So you want us to be subtle? We're good at subtle. Uh, yes. Um, by the way, I should underscore that at all points in any of these uh, missions that we're doing around town, then yes, we have been asked for discretion, not burning buildings, Bambri, um, not drawing attention to ourselves, Tristan, not stealing my things, Enigma. Um, I just added that one. That's actually not a requirement, right. but don't steal my things. <laughs> I'm not stealing your things. Okay. Taps, no. I'm going in disguise as well, then. I put on one of my So you're going in disguise. How are you disguising yourself, Tristan? Well, like I said, I'm going to sort of put one of my robe, my natural. I've got a selection of disguises on me at all times in my adventuring knapsack. Hmm. Which I go as like a uh, Peruvian panpipe band. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to, I'm actually going to, before we leave, what what are the curtains in Percy's room like? They're quite lavish, I'm guessing. They're quite, quite lavish, yeah. Don't, don't you steal my curtains. Well, okay, what about the underside of them? They've got like a wool backing. It's not nearly as fancy as the kind of velvet yeah. curtain. I'm going to be like, holy crap, Enigma's nicking stuff. And as Percy turns around, I'm just going to rip the curtains down. <laughs> and as he turns back, I'm going to be like, oh, uh, yeah, they're just, not made very well so i'm gonna get my knife out cut a little slit put it over me to make kind of a sort of woolen poncho and then kind of get <laughs> some of bambury's clothes and rub them against mine to put like smears and stains and stuff i'm literally to... wearing Tristan, that what on earth are you doing with my curtains <laughs> yeah, well i'm disguising myself i'm adapting to the situation as what as a poor person somebody that wear curtains no the underside is like poor person clothes uh, my <laughs> curtains are not made of poor person's clothes <laughs> so i'm gonna scruff them up and i'll take the second part because percy's watching now so and i'll i'll rip the second bit down and sort of help cover Percy's finery as best I can. and I think it needs a pelham. I, I, I think you've got to put like a little bit of a, of a kind of crease just about here. If we just kind of pin this little bit up, yeah. it'll okay. just hang a lot better. Okay, brilliant. I'm sure it's possible to acquire like the uh, like commoners' clothes without yeah. tearing down my curtains and trying to sew <laughs> this new ones. This is my point. Do you know what poor people clothes 
like they're cheap by definition and we're in the city we could have just gone and bought poor people clothes what's cheaper than wearing a pair of curtains out (laughs) you're you're wearing an expensive pair of curtains as a poncho that doesn't look like what poor people wear he didn't pay for them the important thing is style yeah it's all about conviction because you've got to remember even though you're dressing poor you've got to have style yeah (laughs) is is long drop in this season between me and enigma we make it look poor, okay? We've rubbed ourselves against you, Banbury. We're covered in stains and crap now. We smell a little unpleasant. We're good to go. Can I just say that... I'm going to pair it with a nice pair of soft boots. You talked about Cliff talking down like to the maintenance guy, and saying he didn't recognise like the difference between him and the squire, but now you're bad-mouthing poor people. I'm a bard. I'm a rich bard. I'm not a priest. <laughs> Just saying pot and kettle here. It is all about context. Yeah, don't be horrible to poor people. I'm one of them. I grew up on the streets. I'm a rich, very famous bard. I don't give a crap. I just have to look poor. I'm not poor. I bet if you called your daddy, he could stop it all. (laughs) In fairness, Banbury, they were all rubbing themselves on you. So, you know, things are round about. (laughs) All right. so, So you're decked out in your weird ponchos. And Banbury's got his usual Banbury clothes, which uh, do fit in pretty well among any group of uh, people who haven't been able to clean or replace clothes for the last six years. Yeah, I'm going to roll around outside as well, and I look just like Banbury. Percy has an over-his-whole-body hood. Have you just put a sack over his head? Yeah, pretty much. So Percy's wearing more or less a sack, and you hit the street. Remember how in my head Banbury is just wearing a potato sack with some holes cut in it? Yes, yes. That's pretty much what we've done for Claire. Well, <laughs> well this is fantastic. We're going to fit right in. I'm sure that when the refugees fled their, their homeland, they thought, well, what would be the most suitable attire? I know, let's find some vegetable sacks. Let's get rid of our clothes, find some vegetable sacks, get into those. They're going to be more durable and uh, head, head north. The important thing is the accessories. <laughs> Do you think so? Enigma is pretty uh, what, good. What accessories, other than the magic sword, should I uh, take with me? Potato hat. A potato hat. <laughs> yes, to go with the potato Made out set. of potatoes. Yes. Enigma is pretty good at pretending to look poor, to be fair. I am poor. Well. How dare you? I grew up on the street. Can I stop everyone for a minute and point out this is a wizard's robe, yeah? This isn't a potato sack. This isn't, <laughs> like, poor person outfit. This is a robe worn by wizard. Yeah, but it kind of looks like a potato sack. <laughs> I mean, that's not... I don't mean that in an offensive way. I love potatoes. He's got a chip on his shoulder about it. <laughs> well, I will give you the benefit of the doubt, Tristan Wilde, because, you know, you did stand next to me um, at the wall and all that. But let's head down to uh, the southeast of town. Perhaps if Enigma or yourself could go and check out exactly what's going on around there before we stride in clad in potato sacks. <laughs> and if we would stand out like a thought sore thumb, maybe we could think twice about exactly the nature of our disguises. If we'd fit in, fine. Let's just go on in. Right, Enigma, go and barter for some people's clothes for us then. Hang on, we haven't even got there yet. So you tore down my curtains for literally no reason. <laughs> Ben, does my poncho with Enigma's tweaking pass as a random refugee outfit? Or do I look like I'm just wearing rich man's curtains? <laughs> Let's take you across town. Um, from the Priory, you cross Upton and down through the uh, broad streets of the shopping part of town, past the market and uh, past the Minstrel's Retreat and down towards the bridge on the Great North Road. Does anyone notice me as I walk past the Minstrel's Retreat? Uh, yeah, the guy on the door gives you a wave. Oh, damn it. 
My outfit's not good enough, then. You are a famous bard. Hey, it's Tristan Wilde, and he's wearing curtains. They must be in this season. I'm going to scruff my hair up a bit more <laughs> <Yeah>. and <laughs> walk with you. How's this going to work for you? You're literally a world-renowned bard with a famous face. Yeah, but I... Why aren't you wearing a it's hood? It's all about, like, acting. I'm going to cover my face in schmush and, like, crunch <laughs> it up like this. <laughs> oh, what, dude, Captain <laughs> So what's going to happen is, everyone's going to know that the famous bard Tristan Wilde went to the war and fought in a big battle and now they're going to think they got hit in the head because he's walking down the high street in a curtain with his face. <laughs> I am I can portray many people. Let's head down to the southeast. As you come down towards the bridge, you can see the tents around that constitute the canvas streets. Um, where a lot of refugees have been staying. You can see the bridge. There seem to be a group of rivermen down by the bridge, all carved, looking at something. And there are the uh, tents of the camp itself, which are quite a mix. There's quite a lot of fairly good ones and some that are just bodged together from any scraps of canvas people can find. They're different sizes. They're not necessarily well ordered, but there's a fair few that are quite decent tents that, you know, like campaign tents or whatever. So what what are you going to do now you're down here? So we're just, I think for now, we're just going to sort of start to mingle and just sort of walk around. Let's go and see what the rivermen are looking at first. <laughs> that's obviously a plot piece. I'm just going to chill with the locals. Um, That's my special skill. Okay, I'm just going to put it out there that uh, this is not my forte, so I will just put my hood down and follow the throng. So, Tristan, you want to go and see what the rivermen are looking at? Yeah. Is everyone going with you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Alright. It's nice to see some local colour. The rivermen are uh, all by the bridge where something has got caught against one of the bridge supports. And when you get down, you can see that it's a body. Dead prostitute called it, knew it, straight away. <laughs> like, we're down at the docks. Dockmen are effectively the truckers of this world, yeah? Dead prostitute. Let's not alienate truckers now. Listening to this on the road is the only audience we have. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not alienating them, I'm just saying, you know. He respects their craft, the craft of killing. The body is kind of a bit out of the water, but as you get there, someone comes in with a barge pole and drags it over to the side and it's when it's uh when it died it, it's not sort of stuck in the um in the position of delivering a high five or anything is it <laughs> <laughs> rigor mortis did not set in during a high five or a slow nod it's not it's not one of ours we're fine in fact the gin looks pale because they're dead that's kind of a thing that happens as far as i know they have dark patches though on otherwise very pale skin also they're face down as they're pulled out of the river and you can see several large wounds in their back what are they wearing is it a male or a female body it's a male body fairly nice coat um i might steal his coat apart from the fact it's ripped and with large holes in it i can sew it up and when someone turns the body over enigma you recognize the face of mr merriweather (gasps) 